and welcome to the Changes Ahead podcast. Giving space to the often unheard questions, doubts, hopes, and challenges facing the church in Aotearoa, New Zealand. I'm Stephen. And I'm Kathy, and we invite you to join us as we imagine the changes ahead. Thinking about this conversation with Grace, one of the things that really stood out to me is her heart when she said, I'm for the church in response to the defensiveness that she encounters. And that really struck me. But also, there was quite a moment where she was quite vulnerable. Yeah. And that was a moment where I really feel like I missed an opportunity. Mm. I missed an opportunity to sit with the vulnerability. Yeah. And my response, while it wasn't negative, it was too soon. Mm. And so this episode, we're going to do something a little different. And Kathy and I, we're going to have just a couple of minutes at the end of the episode to reflect on that particular moment together. So we invite you to stay tuned after Grace has finished talking. Grace, welcome to the Changes Ahead podcast. It's really cool to be able to have some time with you to hear about some of your experiences and some of your thoughts about how the church could change going ahead. So welcome. It's great to have you with us. Thanks, Stephen. It's awesome to be here. And I just want to add my welcome to Grace. And before we hear more of your ideas and thoughts, can you tell us a little bit about who you are and what has formed you? So my name is Grace and I am currently living in Auckland. I am Baptist Discipleship Let's Activator. I'm from Hawke's Bay. So at the time that we're recording this, that's on my heart, just thinking of everybody there and the cleanup and yeah, the chaos. And so that's what I bring this morning. That's also a big part of who I am from Hawke's Bay. Very passionate about justice, very passionate about doing life together as Christians deeply and intentionally. So you mentioned Discipleship Flats Activator. Can you tell us what that means or what's that about? Yeah, so Baptist Discipleship Flats is an intentional community model that's associated with the Baptist movement. And it's really about doing life together intentionally, discipling each other and being really connected in with our neighborhoods. Mm-hmm. And so my role in that is to help set up flats for young adults to create these rhythms of prayer and connecting and having food together that just allow for this space to happen. Wow. You mentioned doing life, I guess, deeply a bit more. I guess that's probably in contrast to something. So can you unpack that a little bit as far as your experience of church or um, discipleship in, in your life? Like, what What is this adding and how is it making it deeper for people? I think one thing that I noticed in my experiences of different churches is that connection was largely based on programs. And I found that that wasn't, that wasn't a structure that allowed really deep connection with the people that we're doing life with. It often allowed some form of connection to the people in our churches who we are most like, but not necessarily feeling like my faith community was a deep community. Right. And so I think living together, I found, and living next door to people, it just adds this level of closeness that you just can't get not doing that. And it's often messy and hard Mm. and 
you run into conflict and confrontation, but that's how you get close with people. And that's where that amazing depth comes from. So I'm so passionate about doing life together and um, doing the hard things, you know, so that we have this fruit of depth as faith communities. Mm. Yeah. And it's so much more than the standard question that often gets said in church as a greeting, you know, how are you? And people mm. respond, fine. And that's what you're saying. You can't get that depth if that's the level that we're interacting on a, in a church service. So, yeah, you really get to see each other and, and all of our beauty and, you know, the, the ugly too. Totally. When I mean, you live with people. <laughs> So Grace, you are at the moment in the middle of studying and you're coming to the end of some of that and you're about to do your thesis. I'm just wondering if you could tell us a little bit more about that. Yes. So I'm doing a research paper and that's, I'm probably going to do it on feminist theology and just looking, re-looking at the gender roles of women in the Bible and what it means to be a woman in the identity of God and just, I guess, challenging the norms and the narratives that we've had in church and just going, is this biblical or is this because people have taught us this over and over again? Mm. So, yeah, I'm really passionate about that. And I'm also really keen to look into gender pronouns of God. We often mm. refer to God as a male and being him, but I just don't know that it's that straightforward. Holy Spirit is often referred to as feminine and gender neutral pronouns but in the English version that's been translated to male so yeah I'm really interested to take a step back and really look at that yeah and why is it so important I think particularly as a female I've always heard the statement we are made in his image and I go does that mean that males are more alike to God than I am. And, yeah, I think it's started as that journey of going, how much do I relate to God? And I think just learning throughout some of my biblical papers, looking at the pronouns and going, that actually gender neutral sometimes when we've been taught that it's always male. Mm. And, yeah, so I am definitely a questioner. I'm a curious person. I always challenge the norms, not because I'm trying to be annoying, but just because my brain goes, but why? And so I always wonder why we always use male pronouns when I've seen that it's not always male. Hmm. And then that gets me questioning about the patriarchy and lots of stuff. You haven't started yet. So my thought is, what do you hope for in this? I think I want to know God more. I want to know who God is outside of who I've been told God is. And I've often been told I'm naive or or that I'm just believing the things that I do about feminist theology because it's trendy or... Yeah, I've been told why I believe what I believe. And I almost probably want to prove to myself that, no, I I want to do this simply because 
I want to seek out the truth. Mm. And it's kind of just an expression of who I am as a person. Yeah. Amazing. It's like getting another lens that you get to see something that has been there all along. Mm. But if you don't have that lens, you know, you just don't go looking for it. Mm. And so it's saying it's always been there. That's what I'm hearing from you, the truth that's always been there. Yeah, totally. And I think growing up, I was yeah in a lot of conservative contexts and I was often taught women don't preach or lead in any way. I was you know, like told off for praying out loud because I was a woman. But in that time, I always had this prompting of the Holy Spirit being like, no, like I've called you to lead. I've called Mm. you to preach. And so I think I've always felt like, yes, women should preach. And my whole journey has just been learning from a theological sense and a biblical sense why that's true. Yeah, it's just that knowing, isn't it? I I kind of relate to you in that sense of when I was your age, just felt the same calling to uh, ministry. And I remember, you know, with my husband, we both felt the same calling to be youth workers. And I remember saying to the leadership, can you pay us both half time each? Because I felt it just as strongly. And being a woman wasn't anything to do with it. It was just I felt the calling. And I remember back then it was like, no was like I was asking the weirdest of questions. And so that's what you're saying. We we have the same calling that we're responding to. And so then to go on that theological journey to go, yes, here is some of the thinking behind why, you know, giving us that confidence to back that strong calling that we feel. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah. Totally. Yeah. Totally in agreement. And I think the thing is that there's not an if, it's more of a when of when you get criticism for being a woman leading. Mm. And so it's nice to be able to really back yourself and be like, mm. no, look, look at this, look at this, this is why. Mm. Yes. And that's an experience that is unique to women in, in that sense, because I've, as a male, I've never had to go, well, here's the reason I can lead. No one's ever questioned that. And so I imagine that has quite a significant impact well, it's, it's additional mental load, right, that that women carry that I don't have to carry. So, No, but I, I just I agree with you because as I'm listening to you, Grace, you know, it is a mental load. Like I couldn't understand back then, same age as you, why I wasn't taken seriously. Mm. Just because I was a woman, I had the same passion and calling. And yeah. so it is a whole nother load of, oh, we're, we're, we're not seen. We're, we're different. Mm. And it took going to Kerry to study to get that confidence to go, ah, you know, to know here it is. Here is the the thinking and backing us. Yeah. And I think, I think on top of what you're already doing, you know, leading or doing whatever it is as a woman, there's also the doubt that you've, you sort of like feel people doubting you and then you kind of start to internalize that and doubt yourself and so I feel like there's also this mental battle that goes on of like should I be here and it feels like it's a bigger deal if you mess up as opposed to when I see males you know get something wrong it's like fine but when a female does it's a bigger deal and so I think there's that whole thing of yeah just the mental battle but also feeling like you're always having to fight for a platform fight for space fight for your peers to be heard and 
to be taken seriously and not to be treated like like you're sort of a kid I think yeah can you maybe share a little bit what that what does that do to your psyche as a younger woman and you're carrying this extra mental load what's that like Mm. it's heavy it's it's draining is exhausting I think it's this big tension of the thing that I feel called to so much gives me so much life but at the same time I always die a little bit inside when I feel when I feel like I'm not taken seriously Mm -hmm. and it just feels unfair you know it just feels unfair when I look at my male peers who don't get the same resistance that I do who can just but feels like there's a lot more room for and space for and uh it's just tiring feeling like I always have to fight for space and fight for doing the same thing that men get to do a lot easier Mm. can I ask you Stephen as you heard that because I know where my heart went when you hear that phrase I die a little bit inside Mm. how do you hear that I feel responsibility as a male who is leading and I know that there will be resistance even to to me asking questions about pronouns. I can probably count on one hand the amount of times that I've used a feminine pronoun for God in a public worship space and the equal amount of times that has been pulled up and someone has had a problem with that. And so I, I guess I bear responsibility that I haven't actually done the teaching, I suppose, to to the the communities that I've been involved in to say, no, 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 hold on a second. Let's just take a step back and go back to the text and interrogate it as you're talking about doing, Grace. And so I guess as I'm hearing that, I mean, the the term you used, I I die a little bit every every time, that's heart-wrenching to to hear. And so, and I have no appreciation or experience of, of what that actually feels like. So I guess I... It reminds me of my responsibility in this space to not just say I support um, and to actually go out of my way to get out of the way as much as I can, but also to say, yeah, but that traditional way of looking at things isn't the only way of looking at things. Yeah, and I think that it's awesome to do the teaching and all that on this, but it's also not all the senior pastors' responsibilities But I think in that comes a stepping aside because I think, you know, my age group in our 20s, 30s, we we sometimes we see things that maybe the older generation doesn't. And that's not that's not necessarily bad on anyone. We've just had a different experience of what we've learned. And so I think it's part of it is just making space for us younger ones to go, hey, look, what's this? Can we challenge this? Can we look into this in our preaching schedule? Are you suggesting that they make space um, for you to be able to speak so that's part of the the preaching roster? Is that the kind of space that you're talking about? Yeah, I think it's wider than the preaching, but 
I think that the change doesn't necessarily come from senior pastor teaching on it. The change comes when they step aside and allow for young women to speak on it and challenge and um, go about making change in the way that they see fit. We'll be right back. Do you think women need to see women as role yeah. models? Yeah. Often when I've preached or taught or spoke up the front, people have come to me and gone, hey, like I haven't seen people who look like me mm. speaking and preaching. And so like you doing that gives me the confidence that I could do that too. So I think it's paving the way for others to look and go, hey, I see myself in her. I can do that too. But right now in our churches, it's largely males who are doing the preaching, males who are speaking, males who are pastors, males who are in, you know, higher leadership positions in the wider Baptist movement, but yeah, also just in general in churches. Mm. So you're touching on issues of, of power and power dynamics within church spaces, which are present in probably any institution or most institutions. I wonder if, if you would be able to talk a little bit about your story and some of your experience, your personal experience with those power dynamics in church spaces or other spaces. Yeah, I think I've had a range of experiences with this, both inside and outside of church from a young age as well. Hmm. And so often what I've noticed is it sometimes it feels like a parent-child dynamic where as a woman, I'm kind of like the child and I always have to get permission from the male to do things, to have a voice and to pretty much do what I feel God calling me to, but I have to go through a male to get there. I think over and over again between the age of 10 and 20, I was given this message explicitly that I was not allowed to public speak in a church setting to those who were older than me or to any males. And so people often saw the gift of public speaking in me, but kind of felt the need to ch try channel it and say, hey, you've got this, this amazing gift. Um, how about you use that for a women's devotional group for younger girls? And they had the best intentions, but that's the message that I heard over and over. And then when I left that sort of conservative context, I expected to have a new freedom where I felt like, oh, I can finally lead and preach without being questioned. But I actually didn't find that. And I actually felt like there wasn't necessarily this explicit message that was telling me, you can't do this, but I just felt the hesitancy of other people. And I felt, I think I saw a clear division between my male peers who were really empowered and would be asked to do these different leadership opportunities and would find pastoral jobs quickly compared to myself and my female peers who had a completely different experience and, again, often had 
to do anything, had to get permission to do it and just felt this feeling like we're not trusted or validated mm. in um, what we believe and what we feel called to do. Mm. Grace, just as I'm listening, one of the things that I'm thinking about is, you know, we often think older people maybe don't get it the same, older generation. But what about the younger men of your age group? Are they thinking differently? Are they supporting change for women? What's your experience in that space? I think there's a variation of people. And, yeah, I know that people are just doing what they know and saying what they know. I've found that some younger males are kind of a bit more passive about it and don't have an issue with me preaching or leading but don't necessarily want to disrupt or challenge anything when there's spaces and times where I'm not heard and I'm not empowered in what I'm doing. And so, yeah, I think I feel like I wish I wish it wasn't just us young women who had to fight for ourselves. I wish other people even were just curious to know what our experience is and to ask questions those are the best conversations I've had. And yeah, I just I just remember my cousin who's same age male, he I just remember a conversation where he just asked me so many questions about what it's like to be a young female in church and ask questions about why I am questioning gender pronouns of God. And I felt so heard and seen and validated in that moment. And yeah, I think I appreciate when my age group of males are curious when they come at conversations approaching it as though I'm not a threat. Shall we pick up on that word threat you've just used? Mm-hmm. Do you have thoughts about why men see women as, as a threat to them in, in leadership spaces? Yeah, I think one and this is not everyone, this is, yeah, certain groups see a difference in belief system as a threat and so what they've always grown up with and not necessarily, again, that they've grown up with women shouldn't do this, but just that they've grown up with men leading them the whole time in church and so it's familiar, it's comfortable and then when a woman gets up to lead, it's different and it's uncomfortable and she has a different opinion and what do we think about that? So I think it's a threat to our subconscious beliefs. Mm. And I think change is just hard for humanity in in general. I think it's, I think it's just hard to, for church to be different to us, which we so need it to change. We so need it to be different. And if we don't, we're going to lose a whole generation of people and a whole, I know so many of my friends across New Zealand are close to leaving because of this. Because of this inability to accept or validate. Yeah, I think empower. I think we just, we often feel restricted instead of empowered. And I often feel as though I'm a threat. And I just want to tell people like, I'm on your side. I'm on your side. Like, yeah. I'm for mm. I'm for community and I'm for God. 
you know mm. i'm not against anyone in this mm. I, if anything this comes from a desire to know god more and to know who i am in god more mm. Mm. and you're just wanting to bring yourself i love that you know it's not a threat you i love that you are for you're bringing the gift of who you are yeah. and that's all you're really asking for space for totally yeah and i feel like if i don't lead i'm rejecting myself before other people can reject me i don't feel like i'm my authentic self if i'm not stepping into that part of who i am mm-hmm. and we're missing out i mean in general yeah. we're missing out the church not having that gift yeah definitely we're the poorer for it and i think even just hearing you say you've got friends throughout new zealand who are on the cusp of leaving over this and yeah there's so much talk in church circles about what well, in western church circles you know the, the predominantly pakeha church circles about decline why are we not seeing young people what yeah why are the youth ministries smaller all this sort of thing and there's this pretty glaring issue that is it just that we'd prefer not to talk about it? And yeah, those of us who, who are men who are happy in our powerful positions, yeah, we kind of throw up, well, we can throw our hands up and go, oh, why, why, why? Well, hold on a second. Why don't we listen to people like you, Grace, or like, yeah, that, that are going, are, are voting, so to speak, with their feet, just going, maybe there's some, maybe there is an issue here. <laughs> I think it's scary to think about this because then it's scary to think what does that mean for our churches and I think the other thing is that often when issues like this come up we either don't do anything we try to do everything at once and so people go oh my gosh does that mean we need to fire our male pastors and it's like no we need to first make space for young women and we need to sow seeds of readiness in our churches for the generation to come and like yes there may be a stepping down there may be that but the, it's the step-by-step process that we actually just need to allow women to lead and you just brought up the word ready mm. to make space and we don't have to wait until they're actually whatever we think ready is could you kind of expand on that because i think that can be a challenge sometimes oh we need to wait till people are ready mm. do we Yeah, I think when we use the term ready, it has a lot of of connotations for us of perfectionism and being polished, whereas as faith communities, we're called to be authentic and that means messing up and getting it wrong. And so for me, even I would challenge the idea of what does it mean to be ready? You know, I've heard it a lot in the Baptist circles of like we don't have women to who are ready to do this thing so we just have to wait till they're ready and it's like okay one there's intentionality in waiting there's training and there's all that but two what does it mean to be ready you know yeah i think i would just challenge what does it mean to be ready and you're not going to be ready until you do it exactly Hmm. you only learn it as you do it as you walk Hmm. it and anyone Anyone in leadership knows, yeah, if, if we're honest with ourselves, knows that when we started in leadership, we weren't ready. Yeah. Am, am I am I ready for the next thing? Well, probably not. Yeah. <laughs> That's the reality. There's still, yeah, I've still got 
stacks to learn and I need people around me. I need the different voices around me, all this sort of stuff. And so that ready word is just kind of, it's, it's a nice excuse, isn't it? But it's not, mm. it's not actually mm. not real, actually. No. And it, and it, yeah. it's what you were saying, Grace, that um, we're not prepared for the messy. We kind of want to mm. get straight to the thing that looks polished and looks mm. good. And we actually don't realize that the transformation happens in the messiness. Mm-hmm. It's what, what you were saying about living intentionally. Transformation is happening when you guys are living together in the mess, but that's when the work happens. So we want to kind of sidestep one of the, the really crucial steps. Yeah, I think it happens in the messiness and it happens in the figuring out how to do a new mm-hmm. thing that no one's doing, you know? And I would just really challenge the definition of ready to, instead of being this polished final product to be ready being willing to be wrong i think when you're willing to be wrong change can come and you can get past things and i think that's a much healthier way to go about thinking about how to approach these issues Mm. yeah i I like don't you like that Stephen? ready to be wrong that's the type of ready we need to develop yeah, we've talked so many times. This, we're back to that theme of humility again, aren't we? Like that, that just keeps coming up in, in in our episodes. Yeah, that's that's awesome. Willing, ready to be wrong. It's a new definition. I think we need to, yeah, to get out there. Mm. Why are you not accepting the status quo? Why are you on this journey? A few years ago, I was talking to God about some things that I felt frustrated about, one of them being, yeah, this issue here. And I had this picture of a present. And inside the present, to my surprise, was two words. And those words were holy discontent. And I felt God say to me, follow the holy discontent. Don't get comfortable with the way things are. And I just felt like God was in this. God was in this frustration. God was in this challenging and curiosity. And so I followed that. And that's that's why I've ended up in so many of the places I'm in, like discipleship flats and intentional community and all this. I just really feel like in order to have change, we need to be discontent with the way things are. And we need to allow, we need to channel that holy discontent into creating that change and thinking of new ideas and being creative and innovative i think i would just grow into this ball of bitterness if i didn't channel that into change you know yeah i think that if we all bought the thing that we feel burdened for by god and we brought it to our community and together we fought for it and we tried to create change in that space, so much could happen. Hmm. The limits are endless. And even hearing that, it feels like a positive energy. Holy discontent. Totally, totally. I think there's there's energy and there's movement in that. Hmm. And it does allow for us being exposed to something new. It does actually feel very hopeful as I hear those words together. In fact, I love putting those two words together, <laughs> holy and discontent, because we often don't think of it that way. We think, oh, wow, we're doing this thing and maybe it's not so good and it's because it's uncomfortable. But 
I can see why you have this. That's such an encouragement to keep going, you know. And we're grateful. We're grateful for your voice to keep wanting to be in this space because, you know, it is still a weight and it's still that you carry. And so thank you for not giving up. Thanks, Kathy. So, Grace, as we're kind of coming to the end of our time together today, do you have a kind of a practical suggestion or idea for, for our listeners? What could they do to help? What's one little step that could be taken towards the change that we've kind of been talking about and so desperately need within the church space? Yeah, I think that change largely needs to be catalyzed by those in the church with power, those who are in leadership, mm. um, actually allowing space and a platform for young women. And so what would it be like to just offer a group of young women in your church to run a church service and mm. go, what are the things you're passionate about? What would you like to talk about? And just giving giving them your trust is huge. Mm. That for me as a young woman feels empowering when I'm trusted and given the freedom to do what I feel God calling me to and do what I feel God putting on my heart. Mm. And also just acknowledging that you have something to say and it's a gift of yourself mm. because you are for the church to build it up. Yeah. This conversation is really important as we acknowledge this week is International Women's Day. And I just want to thank you, Grace, for your honesty and openness and taking us on this journey and the thoughtful reflection that you've brought to us today. So thank you for that. You're so welcome. And I appreciate yeah, you making the space for me to be heard. like this idea of being able to reflect Stephen and for our listeners to hear some of our process yeah so maybe you could tell us about how you felt in that moment and where you would have liked to have gone yeah so that line of I die a little bit inside those are heavy words those are really heavy words and you invite me to reflect in in that moment and I remember this, it's really clear in my mind. I remember my body just feeling the weight of, yeah. of the words that Grace had shared. But one thing I know about myself is when I feel something that is deep or profound or something like that, it takes me a, a wee while to actually find words to articulate what that feeling is and how that how that feels. And so in the moment, rather than sitting with the discomfort of, of the truth of that statement, rather than sitting with the vulnerability, you heard me go into a possible solution mode. And I remember saying, messaging you, Kathy, and saying, I hate the way I responded in that moment. So we didn't want to take it out because we wanted people to go on this journey with us to see that we're learning. And I think this is a great process to be able to reflect at the end. I know in the moment, I was also feeling quite choked up mm. yeah. and for me as a woman because it resonates with some of my own story and so I did throw you in it <laughs> mm. to go 
what were you feeling? Yeah. And so I think for us to be able to acknowledge the weight yeah. of when people share their stories and that we're learning how to hold that weight. Mm. Yeah. And that it's okay when we don't have the words and that we can say that. Exactly. And that's that's actually all I needed to say is mm. that I don't have words in this moment because I'm I, I feel the weight of, of what you've just said, yeah. Grace. And that's it. Yeah. yeah. And there probably would have been an awkward silence on the podcast and you know, but actually that sitting in silence with the awkwardness, with the pain is where I have in my own story, that's where I've experienced Jesus's love the most. Yeah. And so yeah, I'm gutted that I missed that opportunity, but it is it's great to be able to reflect yeah. on on the experience together. And I am really grateful that we can do this, that mm. we can show people how we are learning to be in this space so that they will give themselves grace. Mm. And Grace was incredibly gracious as well when I messaged her about it afterwards. Yeah. Which is lovely. So thank you guys for listening in and being on this journey with us. for listening to this episode of the Changes Ahead podcast. If that resonated with you, or you've got thoughts about the Changes Ahead for the church, we'd love to hear from you. So get in touch on Instagram or Facebook at Changes Aheadcast, or email us at the Changes Ahead podcast at gmail.com. See you next time. <laughs>